What is up, everybody? My name is James DeFiori, and this is Black Ball. In 1996, a basketball player who used to be called Chris Jackson, Mahmoud Abdul Raouf, made headlines when he decided that he wanted to pray as a sort of private protest during the American National Anthem before basketball games playing for the Denver Nuggets. At the time, it was really controversial. The man had his house burned down. And so it was one of those political situations where sports transcended politics. About 20 years later, a guy named Colin Kaepernick did something similar. When he decided to take a knee before uh, what during the national anthem before football game. And once again, there were certain people, certain in the United States that thought he was like a traitor, that thought he wasn't a patriot because of what he did. What they said would be disrespectful to the national anthem. And then in Canada, or actually at the NBA All-Star Game, a Canadian singer decided that she was going to do something a little bit different with the national anthem. And what we saw in the aftermath of that was both beautiful and a little disappointing. Nothing to do with her, but some of the naysayers, I thought, were a little bit out of line. I'm going to play that clip right now. I'm going to play it up to the point. Please rise now. And here to perform, old Canada, welcome to... Welcome Toronto and Canada's Queen of R&B, Julie Black. Oh, Canada, our home on a native land, true patriots love. In all of us, come with And with that, Julie Black started a conversation that was probably the most powerful one-person protest I have ever seen. I don't know yet. I don't even know if you want to call it a protest or not. But what I thought when I saw that was the the economy of words, the one change, this one syllable. And she just started a conversation and uh, it spread like wildfire and it's like nothing I've ever seen before. So please welcome to Blackballed, Miss Julie Black. How you doing? I'm wonderful, um, thank you. That's a great intro. Thanks thank you very much. What's new? <laughs> what you know? is new? Um... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm just playing, but like, when I saw that, first of all, that little pause before you said our home on NATO, I thought that was brilliant. How far in advance did you know that you were going to do that? Uh, well, the game was on Sunday. Um, I did some press leading up to it. I did breakfast television, I believe, like Wednesday or Thursday. Um, and I actually sang that on one of the morning shows. It might have been, I don't remember which one. I'd have to go back and watch. And so I knew I four or five days before um, that I was going to do it pretty much. Okay. So let me just get my webcam back here. I don't know what happened there. I hit the wire. Oh, good. Fade the black. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
did you do it during sound check? Good question. So during sound check, I, I, my first take, I didn't do it. My second mm. take, um, one of our team members kind of whispered to my ear in my ear saying, you might want to try it in real time because mm. you're so used to singing it in kindergarten that way. So I, in sound check, the second time I did it, I did actually sing um, on. Our home I wonder concert. if it were any reporters inside the arena at the time that you did the sound check. I'm just curious because I was wondering if you were kind of concerned whether or not the news would break out before you actually did the anthem. Good question. I didn't even think about that. I could it could have been a spoiler alert. Yeah. I had no idea. No, I didn't think about that. So listen, um you know how I feel. I already said so in the intro. I thought it was really powerful. We don't need to dwell on the naysayers, but have you been receiving much blowback? Because I, I, I if you if you're a Twitter person like like some of us are, um you saw you saw a lot of people who, and I always use this example. I'm not sure if you read the piece that I wrote for Cryer.co, but I, I, I wrote a piece about you. And I found, it, I found it very interesting that the people, the very same people who disrupted a million people inside our nation's capital for three weeks with their big trucks and their honking horns, disrupt, disrupting so many souls inside that city for weeks, were such snowflakes about someone changing one syllable in the national anthem that didn't actually disturb anybody. What was your reaction to that? And did you pay it much mind? I didn't pay it much mind. I'm not really a Twitter person. Um, I, I peaked. Uh, people more showed me than me actually going to look and comment and reply, like none of that stuff. Mm. Uh, for me, I realized that both sides are valid. You, you, you have an opinion, have your opinion. At the end of the day, there's light being shed on uh, the indigenous community needing to have more conversations to, to move the dial closer to truth and reconciliation. And so for me, it was just like, I kind of laugh at that stuff because they're keyboard, keyboard gangsters, right? They're not gonna, right. they're not gonna see me in Shoppers Drug Mart and, and be all up in my face. So no, no it's, it's not even a thing for me. I'm, I'm so, I didn't do it to get attention in that this way. Mm. What's interesting is, because of such, it's such an American, yeah, Canadian-founded, invented sport. But this is basketball, so American, mm. and the whole setup was more so about celebrating basketball in America. And Jewel is from Utah, and so I kind of felt like no one was really paying attention. You know, yeah, I felt yeah. like I was gonna hide the kale in the smoothie. It's like I'm gonna make the smoothie. Yeah, that's right. But I'm gonna tuck kale in there, and it's gonna taste like <laughs> strawberry mango. <laughs> You'll eat something healthy if I have to trick you, right? Like, exactly, right? And that's what, that's what it felt like. The only thing I was worried about the most was that long walk in five-inch heels. Like, yeah. Like, you look, if I may say so respectfully, you looked good. <laughs> you looked really good. You had that Canadian flag red on, right? Um, yeah. Sometimes people call you a diva, not in a, not in a bad way, but in that sort of like, you know, like you're, 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 Listen, I, I consider you to be like the the um, you know the greatest R and B singer that this country has ever produced. Uh -huh. I really do feel that way. Thank you, James. Appreciate and no, please. Um, but I don't see you as a stereotypical diva whatsoever. And I think I wonder if part of that is because, and I'll get back to the anthem stuff later because there's some political stuff I want to talk to you about. But because I have you on, I got to start talking about hip hop. You were always to me a mainstay in the hip hop scene. It was like when, when in the early 2000s, I remember because because, um, you know, because a, a lot of us who were writing rhymes and rapping and doing shows and stuff like that. And I was one of them um, were like 
Man, if I could only get Julie Black to sing the hook, <laughs> I'd be so happy out. right now. You didn't reach out. Listen, I, I I wanted to, but you know, I you're Julie Black, right? Like I, I don't well, know. That's like, your loss. Then you're too scared. But here we I, are. <laughs> I'm still rapping. I'm a better rapper now than I was then. So if you're, if you're, you are. I'm a better yeah. singer. I, I get it. No, for real. Life, lived experience, wordplay, all the things. Good. Is it interesting for you to be in uh, a singer who is often identified within like? hip-hop circles i mean i know that they're they're hand in hand in a lot of ways but you remember what it was like in the 90s and the early 2000s um i mean i remember uh i, I can't remember what track it was but r&b beats hip-hop not you know there was a lot of like tension between r&b and hip-hop back then and then some people like yourself kind of bridged the gap is, is it interesting being an r&b singer and being so like recognizable within hip-hop culture i know actually funny enough but uh, I didn't. I didn't, should have lotioned my forearm. But um, I have this permanent tattoo. It's a bridge. Oh, nice. Yeah. That. I, yeah, and that's exactly you know a part of what I my revelation in my purpose in life and being a bridge. And so, hip hop gave me my um, the opportunity to be heard across the country. Remember, back in the day, there was an underground, and so mm. it wasn't R and B underground. There wasn't radio for R and B music, especially from Canada. You would hear the American songs, but you wouldn't hear the local stuff. So I, it was intentional for me to become the voice of hip hop, 100%, the wife of hip hop, 100%. And so in that, with Cardi, with Socks, with Shaw Claire, with Infinite, you know, there's so many others, you know, that I've done songs with. It's like, okay, so now people know my, my voice, at least for eight bars. Yeah. At least, <laughs> of course, if you don't know bars, we're talking about like a chorus. That's like, right. <laughs> and there came the, the day where it was time for me to spread my own wings. And that was... That was the challenge in going out on my own. That was the biggest challenge because I didn't have my guys to just be, basically hold me up. I had to really do it on my own. The Screwface Capital, the, the way that Toronto is kind of known as being the Screwface Capital, was that almost a good way to develop? Like, is that a, is Toronto a good city to develop yourself as an artist because you want to wipe that that sort of like meh look off their faces in the crowd and give them something to cheer for? I think that's a bit of a a bit of an urban legend. Mm. I mean, I, I myself didn't experience a screw, screw face capital, maybe because my face, they just, <laughs> they couldn't screw at me because I had a better screw than them. Um, but I will say, I will answer your question. Be, be Grooming your craft in Toronto is was like the best training. It was like David Goggins army training. Like yeah. if you groom your craft in Toronto, you could, you play Toronto, you can play anywhere. I played Toronto my whole life. I'm from there. And I go to New York and LA and Atlanta. And it's nothing. It's like kindergarten. It's baby food. So easy. I'm like, ugh. These people don't even know my songs. Easy to win them over. Yeah. So, so yeah, it was great training. There was a great pipeline. Do you remember in like the early mid 90s between New York and Toronto? There was always that sort of relationship building between rappers there and rappers and singers up here. You were a part of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I thank Cardinal for that. Big time. He was one of the and Chaclair and Socrates, those them three guys who are my brothers to this day, they got deals. And before they were got major record deals, they had they put out vinyl. They were in the underground. They were doing they were doing shows in New York. We were driving there and back. And because I was doing that hook, I had the opportunity to go on tour, and so I, I'd be seen. And that's how I got my first record, my second record deal, in fact, with MCA Records. I kind of long for the days. I miss the days of um, before the internet. Of of anticipating DJ X's power move show, 
<laughs> things like that yeah. or go or going to like record bar or to like play the record play and find Eugene. that's right and yeah. trying to find the new mixtapes and stuff like that or or even sending away to new york city djs and getting them to like mail it to you and anticipating all that there was like a magic back then um yeah. and i love the access now like it's all at our fingertips but do you ever kind of romanticize the days before the internet gave us everything at our fingertips? 100%. Because those days you knew that somebody was holding tangibly. If you had, you know, 10,000 people or 10,000 pieces of vinyl, of CDs, you know, with actual, actually sold, you know, or signed. I do. I miss those days a lot. I, I still press CDs for my shows. People still mm. buy them. And they, they buy them as a keepsake. You know what I mean? And so... I felt like it was more back in those days. You felt like you had, you got your degree. You know what I mean? It's like you actually right. got something to hold on to. That's that right. You have to throw up in the air. In graduation. I, um, I, I love it when I see Thrust um, uh, still posting the fact that he like presses vinyls for all of his singles. I, I love seeing that. Well, vinyls back. People are just today. Someone slipped into my DMs. Are you gonna press vinyl for your album? So we're gonna do like 500 pieces and just have them available. Mm -hmm. Okay, I want to get back to the anthem stuff because I, 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 have, a, I have a question I want to ask you and I, I have to word it delicately. I don't write notes. I'm like the Jay-Z of podcasters. I just okay. sort of like freestyle. Um, I'm a white guy, so I'm not part of this conversation. But I'm curious about the relationship between black communities and indigenous communities. Mm -hmm. And that, that bridge on your forearm. Can we metaphorically apply that there? And do you think that uh, there is an opportunity here since you um, did what you did with the anthem for black communities and indigenous communities to sort of like come together and pool their resources and, and start um, demanding change? I think there's always an opportunity for all communities to build a bridge big enough for everyone to cross. I think this whole notion about BIPOC, black indigenous people of color, um, many of us have, have been in this box of being a part of the BIPOC community. But I don't think that it was fully developed. Just my own personal opinion, you mm -hmm. know, it's not, it's just my personal opinion. It's almost like, it's like the phone line was invented, but they were still not, there's not, there was no plugs. They weren't plugged into the wall. There was no electricity. There was no wiring. Um, so I think that the wiring now is something that's be needed to be slowly being put into place. And for me, I just got tired of sitting in complacency um, I also recognize that I'm very, that I am privileged. I live, a, I am a black woman, clearly. I live a black experience and I've had various, uh, I've been through my own struggles and still do at times. Now they're more so subliminal and systemic and, uh, but doesn't mean it's not happening. And so sometimes it's important for, you know, somebody to stand in front as a shield and be like, you know what? All right, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to stand in front and maybe, maybe they'll put their guns down. Or maybe mm -hmm. I might have to take one for the team and be that example and someone will step up in the future, you know? So, I, yeah, I, I, it's an opportunity for right now for my friends who are Indigenous, uh, who were, were friends. So, you know, a few years ago, it was Black Lives Matter and it still matters, clearly. But they didn't really know what to say to me. And they sat in the space of, don't want to say something wrong. How do we help? Even though they all, all of their own struggles still exist and still existed, right? But mm. the, the spotlight was on how do we, what are we going to do for black people? And they yeah. sat not knowing what to do, not knowing what to say, many of them, close friends. 
And so here I am now, and I'm I, the roles are reversed in a sense where you were hearing about learning about, about residential school. I didn't learn about this in, in school. None of my yeah, school. neither did I. Right? Mm-hmm. We're learning about you know even today before I got on this this um this interview, I I spoke to Roy and I says okay, I I, I need the right terminology with what's happening with these bodies, right? And he says well. They're not being discovered, they're being recovered. I says, okay. Mm. Like, these are the words. These are the things that I'm learning. How to properly respect, you know, people's lives. It's not somebody's discovering some oil, you know? Like, these bodies are being recovered, you know? So, it's very interesting. It's a a time of learning. And um, I just really, my hope is that for generations to come, the, the... our Canada, not oh, but our, will be much more inclusive and they'll will do away with even white guilt because white guilt is stopping the dial from to, from really being moved. It's like, yeah. you, James, it's not you. You didn't do anything. But I have friends that it's like their grandparents, great-grandparents or whatever. I'm like, okay, well, why don't you be your ancestors' biggest nightmare and change it? Because I'm my ancestors' wildest dreams with my success. That's right. It's interesting because there's a uh, there's a political bent to what you did that I find um, really important and 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 powerful and a conversation starter. I actually reached out to I think you know this person, Marcy Ian. Uh, she's a minister of women's rights, I believe, in in Canada. To see, just, I just wanted to inquire just to see if um, if. It was a thought in in her mind or any of her colleagues to draft a private member's bill in the House of Commons to actually make that lyric change. And I'm wondering if you've had any conversations like that since it happened. A lot of people have reached out, but I'm really, I'm totally like bipartisan and I want to make sure that anything that is, any sort of bills or any sort of conversations has to be led and spearheaded by the Indigenous community. So... Mm. You know, like there's, it's not, it's not the Julie change, the Julie bill, the Julie version. <laughs> you know, that's what I have to be really walk and tread very lightly because it can quickly appear to be self-serving. Was there a part of you that like, did you have a moment where you were like, nah, maybe I shouldn't like, did you, was there a back and forth at all in your head? Zero. Really? No, not even, love- not one time. Not you are a diva. Time. You are a diva. Look at you. I love that <laughs> in a good, sure. in a good way. Um, Listen, uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back and forth from politics to hip hop because the, the it just popped into my head Chuck now. D, you see, Chuck D hit me up. Holla! I saw Chuck D hit you up. Um, <laughs> I, my first concert was Public Enemy at uh, Canada's Wonderland. Stop it! In, in like 1980, 1989, I think. Yeah, that's right. And uh, he played with Sisters of Mercy. Do you remember them? I do. Yeah. Wow. So that was my first. Um, did Lauren Hill have a huge impact on you? When people talk about their top five to me, I always mention her because if I were to build a super group, mm-hmm. who's better than Lauren Hill? Like she's almost my number one in a sense because she can sing so well and rhyme so well. Um, and I just think that an all around talent like that. But was she someone that you looked up to when you were, when you were coming up? 500%. I yeah. mean, Lauren Hill, you have to remember too, Lauren Hill's sister act. You know, she's an actor mm-hmm. too. And singer. That's right obviously lyricist, you know, 
I see some interviews. I've been watching. They come up in my feed, especially the algorithms are crazy. Of her talking about being bold and being courageous and really being, you know, standing for something. And this was like 1998. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So definitely love me some more. I love she's an ultimate alto. Our, our tones are similar in that sense. We're not, you know, whistle whistle tone up top. She made it cool to be an alto. So. Yeah, and and it was funny because uh, I remember like reflecting back to um, critics back then, and how funny it was to listen p- to people um, kind of meander around their own words when they couldn't find the right way to say that she was the best rapper in Fuji's. Right, <laughs> you know? I know. Oh my god, <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, they, women weren't getting put given those props. It's still barely given those props right now. You know what I mean? It's a whole other thing. Well, I grew up listening to Mishy Me, MC Light, Queen Latifah, all that, that stuff, you yeah. know, and, and love, mm. yo, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, have you gotten to know any of your hip hop heroes as you have progressed in your career? And, and what was that like? And who were they? Nas, for sure. Oh, one of my hip hop heroes. And we did two songs together. Um, and over the time that we made the songs and then for about maybe two years, we kept in touch like at least once a month, twice a month. Like I would hear from him, he would hear from me. Like we were on direct contact, you know, and his mom passed away and then he married Khalees and then life took, life just went in the direction it went in. And he, I love that he actually went, started to hang with Damon Marley. And then I remember one of our last conversations was him saying, I don't need to wear all this jewelry. You know, he got, yeah. he got rid of all the jewelry. He's like, I hang with these Jamaicans, these Rastas. And they're like, what are you doing with all this jewelry? What's it for? It's giving you value. You think you're more, it gives you value? What are you investing in? Like, you know, we've had some really good conversations that helped inform my wisdom as an artist and financial literacy and some of the choices I decided to make quietly where a lot of them were based off of some of the conversations I had with Nas. I saw a Nas interview today, <clears throat> actually, and he said something about, um, and I'm paraphrasing, about how when you start to think like you're a king who deserves things, then you have to take a step back and reevaluate what you're doing. There it is. You know? Yeah. And I think, I think KRS-One was the first um, rapper that I remember hearing um, talking about how he wears beads instead of chains, right? Yeah. 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 And no, not, I'm not, we're not knocking anyone who wants to wear two and three chains. You know what I mean? But I, I'll, I'll quote Denzel Washington. He says, you'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. All right? Yeah, you can't take it with you, right? You can't take it with you. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember seeing the Big Daddy Kane um, cover. I don't know if it was Taste of Chocolate or the one before that, that Gucci chain. And I remember being a hip-hop kid, like, you know, 13, 14 years old, and just fiending. I just wanted that chain for some reason, right? It was like Air Jordans. Like, I just felt the same way. Salt Peppa had it, too. Salt Peppa wore the big chain, the rope chain. That's yeah. right. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, what what do you plan on doing now with with all this attention? Are you just going to get keep your head down and just go onward with what you were doing before the anthem? Well, what I was doing before the anthem is an illusion. All we have is now, and hmm. not trying to over spiritualize it or make it any sort of whimsical, mystical thing. The truth is, at eight twenty three on Friday, February twenty fourth, that's the only thing that's real. And I quickly subscribed to that. I took out a subscription, I should say, um, as I watched my mom pass through, hmm. pass through to the other side, right? So it's a practice. I'm not going to say I'm always, I'm always, oh, I'm always present. But even right now, like I can feel the ground under my feet. 
I daily tell myself, be where your feet are. Be where your feet are. And this last five days doing over 50 interviews, I had to tell myself, be where your feet are. Be where your feet are. Be present. And so, you know, I'm really thinking about as things come in the email, my agent's getting blown up and my management's getting blown up. Like, okay, wait, wait, wait. Let's really set an intention here and understand, like, why, like, the purpose, why I even switched that word and, you know, how we could be, continue to be an accomplice because allyship is passive. When you're an accomplice, you're basically willing to take the fall. You committed the same crime. And as a black person, sometimes the crime is simply being black. Yeah. It's, it's, do you believe in fate and destiny and things like that? 100%. Fate, destiny, what's for you won't miss you. Like, we didn't write this thing. We did not write this story. Now, we have freedom of a choice, you know, again, without getting too religious or over-spiritualizing. And it's like, one decision. My mom used to say, Julie, you don't make mistakes. When you, have to, when you come, get to the age of understanding, never you tell me you made a mistake because you made a decision. And if, you have your, if you have a healthy mind, you knew that that, that decision was going to have some sort of consequence. And I, I love that because that makes me think of there are no mistakes. There's only lessons, right? That's right. That's right. Some, uh, Paul Jones, he's a announcer for the Raptors. He said, there's no losses. There's only lessons. There's only, hold on. There's only, what did he say? I wrote it down. What did he <laughs> say? Give it to me. Bring it to me. He's like, no winners and losers. There's wisdom and lessons. Mm -hmm. Wisdom and lessons. It's I, I, on this show, I interview politicians, journalists, rappers, comedians, and I'm always really kind of taken aback. Like I had Shad on and he was telling me about the, um, the elements of his last uh, album and how spiritual it was for him to sort of break down the record into all these different categories of the physical self and the, the mental self and the emotional self and the spiritual self and all that. And I had the DOC on um, uh, the other, like last week, and I asked him about um, whether or not he understood his place in hip hop, not just as a as an icon, as and as sort of a pioneer, but literally as one of those guys who's like the underpinning of the fabric of hip hop culture itself, right? And I feel that way about you as well, not just from this conversation, but before that you are kind of one of these people who not is who, who isn't just a part of like the hip hop milieu in Canada, but literally a, 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 one of the strands that makes up the quilt of hip hop and, and that kind of culture. And I'm wondering if your self-awareness allows you to ever bask in that just innocently, or do you just, do you, can you not be like that? Like, can you, can you not make that decision? That question makes me feel emotional. In a good way. Uh, all emotions are good to me. Um, mm. Whew. Yeah, that one hit me. Because it's still taken me time to drink my own Kool-Aid. Mm. And especially because I knew at a young age that I was special. And that this gift, that I have a gift. More so mm. than a talent. That this is a gift. Like, I didn't work for it, earn it, ask for it. Now it's for me to steward it, take care mm. of it, share it. And there are others that I see that are just cocky, chest high, 
And then I wonder, and f- and getting fur- what would be a- appear to be further, farther, higher. And I wonder, because I believe in the law of attraction. I believe that what you believe in what, is what you become. And so I start to take accountability around my thoughts and around poverty mindset or like this whole being in Canada and being not positioned in the right place or blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe some of the, maybe, just maybe, some of the setbacks um, were, were sake of me not really believing in my full greatness. Mm. But I will say, especially this is five years since my mom passed through, um, I, I see that you could have you could have something happen in your life or the right person or people in your life and it'll feel you it'll feel like the biggest victory the biggest award and now i realize that i i'm in a space in my life where i've moved from wanting the award to recognizing the rewards hmm. like the like becoming julie black becoming self aware which is a practice becoming um, somebody who's willing to be vulnerable and very transparent and, and open is rewarding and it's helping others. It's giving others permission to do the same. And so that's the win. Mm. Do I want millions of dollars? Yes. Private jets? Yes. First class flights? Yes. <laughs> Lashes and nails? Hair done, nails on earth thing did? Yes. Car services? Yes. Uh, bags? I love all that stuff. I'm very, uh, all the things, because I don't want, I don't want people to think that because you're conscious, you don't, you cannot like nice things right. or even want or need nice things. What will be deemed as nice things? No, I want it all. And I want to show that as I'm blessed to be a blessing. That's the thing. All right. That's interesting. That's interesting too, because, um, when you're talking just now, it, it, it's like I can see like an overlap between um, monetary capital and spiritual capital. And Ooh, when you when and when you don't and when you don't focus on one or the other too much, they can intertwine in a way that allows you to ride a sort of fluid train towards your destiny. You know. My, my, one of my closest friends, Jen, is here. And that right there is a mic drop. Spiritual capital and, and, and monetary capital, they can intersect. Come on. Nah. I'm a lyricist. You know that. You no, know you that. are. Yeah, that's big. Don't worry. I'm not going to plagiarize. I, I need that. I'll give it to you. You can have that. That's my gift that? to you. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, thanks. Don't, don't tell me not when you see it on a t-shirt, I'm making millions of dollars a day. <laughs> Just give me 10%, please. <laughs> okay, you got it. You got 100 grand. That's you. All day. But, but really, though, like, is, is, is that, is, do you sort of feel that way? Like, I mean, we started that, that, you started that answer. We were talking about the spiritual side. And then you were like, but don't, don't get me wrong. I like nice things, too. So are you living within that apex right now of those things colliding? 5,000%. I love, yeah. I love taking a pod on Air Canada. I like to sit in the pod. You get a taste of the yeah. pod. You don't want to go back no more. That's um, right. <laughs> I am. And I really, and I will say what's most important is the wealth that is called health. Mm. And so if you follow my life, you know that health is important. And, and that's, that's, that's the space that's been 
that's really been helping me gain freedom. Because now I have access, I've learned to access all of these free hormones, all of this stuff that's available to all of us pretty quickly in a, like a, in a 20 minutes of cardio, boom. Yeah. Get your little, get your little fix. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Did you know that you have a reputation for having the best skin in the game? Did you know that? Because I've been hearing that for 20 years. I'm hearing that. I'm not going to lie. I've been, I've been hearing that a lot recently. So I call myself Julie Button. <laughs> I saw you say on uh, the, the uh, we talked before air about uh, the Juno thing that you did last year or the year before, whenever that was, where you were watching the 2001 Junos on your yeah. iPad. And I think you actually said during that interview, Julie Black don't crack. Is that? Julie Black don't remember? crack. Yeah, Julie Black don't crack. That's right. <laughs> I also have an idea. Um, now that I have you on. So the show is called Blackballed, right? Yeah. I was almost, I was almost like, mm, I don't know if I should come on this show. I'm not blackballed, but it's good. Do you, do you know the producer Domingo? Mm -mm. He's a hip hop producer. He's done stuff for Eminem, Big Pun, Fat Joe, KRS. Like he's one of those like guys that's right? been around forever. He actually, I'm having him on Monday. He, he, he messaged me on Instagram and it's like, Oh uh, yeah, my agent is, is a little worried about the show named blackballed. What does that mean? And so I had to tell him, I'm like, no, no, no. The show is named after the fact that I've been blackballed as a journalist from legacy media outlets because I was controversial when I was younger. And now Blackball Media is the name of the company. And it literally means blackballing the media by doing stories that they won't cover. That's all it really means, right? Love but love but it. I have an idea. If you ever want to co-host the show, all we have to do is just respell the word bald. <laughs> Oh, I did a screenshot. <laughs> I took a picture. I'll, I'll email it to you. I'll email it to you. What and, and, you know, bald. I love black because I'm bald and you're Julie Black, right? Like this is this is. I think we're onto something here, and I'm not trying to ride your fame. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm riding your fame. Let's go. Oh, I, I wish. Um, now, what does the future hold for you? Or do you are you so present that it's difficult to sort of make predictions of your own life path, um, you know, moving forward? Well, yes and no. I mean, I believe in in aspirations, visualization, you know, manifestation. Like I'm, I like I got I, when I say I have angels, I have some serious one be my mom. Like my angels are. Fit. Don't let your angels get fat. Anybody watching this right now? <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? Like cherubs are angels that are fat, right? Like that's what they are. <laughs> Don't, your angels, wherever they end up, just put them to work. They're not supposed to be just chilling and drinking margaritas. No, they need to walk down heaven's hallway with your petition, with your application, with all your dreams listed. And you say, I'm like, Mom, here it is. Give it yeah. to God. Hurry up. Um, I see great things in the future that I didn't see before because I was so busy being a pioneer. There was no real, it was like no real, nobody ahead of me. Not saying there hasn't been anyone that's come before me. Mm. In my own lived experience, those who came before me didn't help me. So right. I was laying bricks. I was laying pavement. I was carving road. You know what I mean? So it was always, what's next? Seven day mm -hmm. four went number one. We went platinum. I'm on the road with Black Eyed Peas. What's next? But Julie, this you know you got this campaign. What's next? Yeah, I was, it was always about what's next, and not being but, able to really focus on what's now and bask in it. As your to your point earlier, like just be like, huh, this feels good. 
So now, now I'm, man, let me tell you something. It's a whole other thing when, when joy is overflowing and you no longer have people come sip from your cup, but they have to mm. sip from the overflow. That's right. They got the, to sip from the overflow. I'll sip from the overflow. I don't care. I put my hands out there and wash my face with it. I don't give a shit. Um, <laughs> I saw 50 Cent on uh, MSNBC um, a few days ago, I think. And um, it was interesting because he was talking about, and it's a different, you guys don't have really the same biography, but he was talking about how when he sees young cats that are coming up right now that, are, that act a little crazy, it reminds him of himself. And it gives him the wherewithal to want to advise them on how to sort of pivot away from the crazy young person into the professional. Do you ever feel like you want to be a godmother to these younger artists at all? Oh, all the time. And I have, you know, there's quite a few that I've been their mentor through the remix program. One being Savannah Mm -hmm. Ray, one being Jesse Reyes, like just really being like, okay, but it's, it's not about like, do this or don't do that. It's okay. There's only the only the landmines that I know. Hey, I, I like lost a few toes. You may want to skip over this landmine right here. <laughs> Short of that, we yeah. have to gain our own wisdom, right? And so, you know, I think that Lionel Richie said it about Nicole Richie. It was one day back in the day he was on CNN with Larry King, and he was like, Larry, because they were talking about Nicole Richie when she was all hype with Paris Hilton in those days, and he said, Listen. She's not doing anything that we didn't do. He just mm. didn't have cameras, right? And That's so right. it just wasn't captured. And so I think that if we can move away from being so judgmental, especially if it's not really impacting you in a catastrophic way, it's like, okay, give a little whisper, slip into a DM, send a text or give a quick call saying, hey, you're better than that. You're bigger than that. If that's the road you feel like you need to go down, then go down it. Know that you be able to stand behind it be able to really stand for it, whatever it is, you know? You you mentioned that your mom passed away um, five years ago, and I'm curious what that did to your art. It put it on pause. I didn't think I wanted to do it anymore. Really? Yeah, when the person that you've, that's the one person that's been in your life your whole life, Hmm. and has actually been active and there for you for everything, all the things. It's not there anymore. It, it, it shifts the, the, your whole, you, you lose focus, lose balance. You don't even know how to exist. And so the grief was pinning me down, was pinning me down big time. And that's when I decided to start 100 Strong and Sexy and really focus on women's and girls empowerment and health and wellness and mental health and spirituality and, you know, all the things. And so um, part of this last album, Three Rocks and a Slingshot, Part half of about half of it was made before she passed, and the rest of it after she passed. So, right, it's very, very interesting that. Um, and I just started to realize for myself, I was like, to, earlier we spoke about getting this gift, yeah, and I've been doing it for however many years. And I was like, but is this the side of my voice that is most important right now? The melodic side, the musical side. I realized that, like. People pay, to, people pay attention to my presence. That's a voice. I have an energy. It's a voicing. You know, I moved into theater to be a storyteller. Hmm. Different type of voice, different side of my voice. As I started to fall in love with storytelling and really healing through the art of theater and acting, being able to, like, focus on a project that's not me. I've been my biggest project my whole life. 
That's and, interesting. Right? And give, having another project to work on, to honor, to respect, to make sure I truly um, deliver. It, it helped me not have so much, feel so much pressure to always be Julie Black, whoever people think Julie Black was. That's interesting because, and I know you got to go soon, um, but I wanted to just say that um, when you think, when I think of um, theater, television, and the stage, because I know you've been on all three, um, that even though it's all Julie Black, there you have to rely on a different cadence for each of those things. Like it's just such a unique departure from each other. And I'm curious. And I hope this isn't too much of a desperate pivot, but I'm curious about the wisdom that your mom gave you, because oftentimes um, I feel like in passing, our heroes, meaning our mom or dad or whoever our family or friends are that are heroes that pass on, the bulk of their wisdom is bestowed on you after they go. 100%. You're good. You're good. You're really good. You're really good. Uh, yeah, no, that's what my mom... My mom left me a, a couple gems, but one in particular, which was not an audible, was her last breath became my first full breath. Mm. I realized I was going through life almost like I was wheezing, I was taking these shallow breaths and being able to really take some deep breaths and and realize how much that, that breath is life, truly. Yeah. It's helped me in a big way. My mom also helped me with to eradicate ageism. She passed when I was 41. I'm 45 now, then be 46. And the last few days, she actually said to me, Jew, do you want to be a mother? Or do you want to have a baby? Like, like, this is her last, like on her dying. Wow. Like, and without even thinking, what I even thought, I was like, I want to be a mother. She said, well, you have your entire life. Wow. She left. She just left me that, like, boom, shivering, even thinking about it. You know, so these things were, I'm in a business where, you know, young people or you get to a certain age and all the isms, right? My mom just freed me from that. Totally freed me from that. You know, and also boundaries. That you have you have family and you have relatives. And your family is your chosen family. So I've had to really work through not carrying guilt around, not being associated with certain relatives that don't that are not part of my purpose plan. That really right. don't have this and don't really want the best for me because they don't want the best for themselves. So these are the things I watch my mom navigate life with two solid girlfriends. You know, she was in the community. I'm basically her, like I'm living out my mom's legacy big time. You know, they're like, when you get older, you become your parents, you start speaking like them and all the things. And that's another reason why I cut my hair. Like it's just like, okay, I'm gonna do this and really really live out her legacy and, and build my own. Well, listen, your legacy um, cannot be overstated. And I feel like a few days ago, you what you did was add to it in the most stylish and, and professional and amazing way ever. I love you, Julie Black, and I thank you for coming on Blackwell. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. This is a, this was one of my favorite interviews of all time. Listen, I hearing you say that, I just got goosebumps hearing you say that. I, I, I love hearing you say that. Listen, be, uh, when I was preparing for this interview, I had people asking me, like, are you nervous? Are you nervous? And I was like, no, I'm not. And the reason why I wasn't nervous is because I felt like I knew you from doing the deep dive and from the history that I have with the, in the Toronto scene. 
that um and i don't want to overstate this but it, it felt like i was talking to a distant relative uh, since i came on because we were in the same ecosystem at the same time and i feel like i knew you you are as authentic as i thought you would be you are as gracious and amazing as i thought you would be and i really appreciate you coming on the show today and i would love to have you back anytime you want i'd love to it's all about the black and bald you know what i'm saying that's right wait 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 one more that's right black bald look at this black bald. <laughs> big up big Big ups to my boy DaCosta for making that image. Um, Julie Black, thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you again soon. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Good night. Have a good night. Bye, love. Bye. If I, if, I don't know what to say. <laughs> that was the best interview I think I've ever done on the show. Um, most rewarding by far. Um, generous guest. In about 16 minutes, Casual Friday is here. And that's all I got to say. Um, listen, uh, uh, thank you everybody for watching, by the way. You just saw a guy um, who was speaking to a woman that uh, I've known about for a long time, that I've met a few times. And um, I couldn't have imagined that interview going better. And to be perfectly honest with you, and I'm not faking this humility, it was because of her. Um, there are, there are times where you interview people and you feel, I, I would feel the same way that I felt and they're just not receiving it the way that, that it was intended. And the interview kind of is a little stale. Um, Julie Black, she's, she's one of the greatest ever. And, and I really appreciate her coming. We'll see everybody in about 15 minutes on Casual Friday. And thank you for tuning in to Black Bolt. Black Bolt. Black, Black, Black everywhere the imagination dares it's for the open-minded the pleasure seeker it's jeff woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality theme-based with special guests the blue hotel hotline at every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story get a room and listen in at the blue hotel Begins Friday, September 23rd. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. 
follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.